2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Another day, another brilliant second half deserved upset. Japan turn it around against Germany, who are now in grave danger of failing to get out of the group. Takuma Asana, the hero, dragging the ball out of the sky and two touches later hammering it past Manuel Neuer. At least the Germans stood up in a way to FIFA before the game had even started. Meanwhile, Canada run the old men of Belgium so close. Spain look ominously good, dismantling Costa Rica with the minimum of fuss. And are the Croatians finally tired? Their draw with Morocco. Not really worth getting up for this morning. Also today is Harry Kane's ankle, OK? Who's going to buy Manchester United? And tall Policeman. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. <laughs> on the panel today Archie Rintutt welcome hello and hello Mark Langdon from the Racing Post hi max Uh, Sid Lowe will join us in a little bit. Johnny Lou was meant to join, but has no Wi-Fi and hasn't seen any of the games, but didn't tell us about that. So anyway, he might join us at some point. And if he does, he's always welcome. Adam says, can you slow down with the content? I'm still trying to hear who the dark horses are going to be from Group A. Yeah, I do appreciate there are a lot of pods, aren't there? But there's a lot of football. I'm watching four games a day. I just, I, I feel sort of completely... I don't know, burnt out. You can't complain about just sitting on your sofa watching football, but it feels like a lot. Anyway, Germany won, Japan two. Um, is this the biggest result in Japanese football history, Mark? I,
3: I, it feels like it is. I mean, obviously, when they hosted the World Cup, they did well, um, you know, better, I think, than expected, even though it was a soft group. But to beat Germany, a country that has got football influence in, in, in Japan, and if you go to kind of the Bundesliga, how many players um you know are, are represented um you know, by japanese players w- within the bundesliga i think th- there is clearly a german influence on japanese players and so to beat them um in such dramatic circumstances as well has to go down as a huge result i mean at the last world cup they were on the verge of doing that against belgium and then it all went wrong um r- right at the end so for them to recover from being 1-0 down to take the lead and then hold on and not have you know a huge amount of scares in however many minutes of injury time we had but in, in in that game. It, it, I'm struggling to, to keep up with the amount of injury time. Now I I feel it must go down as um their best ever international result. It does feel like a monumental occasion.
2: Yeah, and Archie, I know you'll see this from a very German perspective, uh, uh, but I found that second half it was coming. It just felt like it was coming, didn't it? It was like Germany were just sitting back and it was felt very open. And then that winning goal, I know defensively was bad, right? But the first touch from Asano is so good. That's Takuma Asano of
4: Wauerfeld Bochum, uh, second from bottom of the Bundesliga. And Asano hasn't played for Bochum since early September as, as well. He also lost 7-0 to some of these Bayern players <laughs> earlier this season. Japan... Changed formation at halftime. They went to a three-five-two, a five-three-two, and started going one-to-one with Germany in terms of the way that they pressed them. But as you say, it was only twenty minutes into the the second half, really, that it started to pay dividends. And whilst I thought Japan took their chances well, I think one of the things that's being highlighted over here in Germany is is the mentality side of things and how Bastian Schweinsteiger. Uh, who was the pundit on Terrestrial TV here, was pointing out how for the first goal, you saw that Nicolas Zula makes a big defensive error, as he describes it, by showing the attacker in on, on, on the inside when he has to be showing him on the outside. But also he just looked at the way that Zula and Leon Goretzka as well, who didn't start the game, just gave up. And then for the second goal, Zula, he says again, made a very simple error, by just not holding the offside line and then we come to Nico Schlotterbeck who I mentioned to you in the preview Max I mean that 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 may seem like a very long time ago by now it does, I yeah. I, I, yeah. I get that Adam's just
2: listening to that preview
4: now actually <laughs> and and one of the things that that was said about Schlotterbeck Schlotterbeck starting the game was a big call by Hansi Flick because even in his 6 international games so far he's given away 3 penalties and he's been in really bad form for Borussia Dortmund and you could see I think the thought going through his head when he's chasing Asano and he's pretty close to him that hang on I can't give away another penalty here <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah i i mean so many things wrong from from a germany perspective we could make a whole a whole podcast about that
2: alone but it had been coming like like you know just before the first goal there was almost identical situation where Noya Paris actually made a brilliant save, and, mm-hmm. and a Japanese player booted it over the bar mark. Like, like it really felt like you were just watching this game and thinking, Hansi Flick has to do something because Japan are just are starting to dominate this game.
3: They were I, I, Mitomo, who plays for for Brighton, who, who came on and was one of the um, subs that that made an impact on the game. I mean, he's somebody that I mean, I'd say probably the best player. That I'd never heard of a couple of months ago. I I, I, don't, I don't
2: even. And God, if you if you haven't heard of them, <laughs> blimey. <laughs>
3: I don't remember him being signed by Brighton. And every time I've seen him play for Brighton, he looks a threat. I was surprised he didn't start. And then when he came on, I felt like, um, you know, things started to happen for um, Japan when they could start getting players forward and actually go at the weakness in that German team that everybody had said. And Archie had mentioned it in those previews. You know, defensively was always going to be the concern. I, I would disagree in some respects though, Max, because I felt... For at least an hour, that the second goal was coming for Germany, and I think if they get the second goal, then you know we're just talking about a routine yeah. uh, win. And you know there were moments, Musiala that kind of slalom run that just was just missing the finish. The Havertzhoff side that was you know really tight. Gundogan missed a chance, so there, there were sort of moments for you know for, for Germany to have just made it two 0 and we we're just not even sort of speaking about any problems. But at the same time, uh, Japan didn't attack that often. But when they did, they looked like they were going to score. And that has to be an issue when you've got Spain next needing to win.
4: That's the thing that, that you say about how the goal was coming. If you had no prior knowledge of the German coaching situation before this tournament, and I told you that Joachim Löw was in charge of this team, I don't think you'd be too surprised by that performance, particularly the way that things went. In that final phase of the game, it felt like a like a highlight version, in in some ways, of what happened against Mexico in that opening game. And that's part of the problem is has enough changed from the way that Germany play since Joachim Loew left the setup and having Hansi Flick, somebody who was an assistant to Joachim Loew for such a long time. But also the the point you that you make there about okay, but they didn't take their chances. But this has been the big point. Uh, for many people in Germany, the fact that they don't have a number nine uh, in, in a classic sense or haven't played with one and that it was Kai Havertz leading the line. I spoke in favour of Havertz on the preview pod. And to be honest, he was pretty bad today. <laughs> so I think it makes more sense to probably play with Nicholas Fulkrug for the next game. But the fact that Germany don't have that same quality of a number nine and and that leads Germans down the path of thinking about there being something wrong with the way that they bring their players through. I've I've heard from people within the German FA who talk about doing too many rondos and not enough one-on-one duels and too many similar players that they're bringing through. There's even a quote from, uh, not from somebody from in the, the German FA, but Mehmet Scholl, very famous ex-German player who's talking about how all these young players know how to fart out formations, as he so eloquently puts it. So,
2: do, you reckon, do you reckon Jonathan Wilson does that? <laughs> sorry sorry I, I picked the audience i, I, I knew you'd I, enjoy that actually yeah anyway carry just, on do
4: as, as, as somebody who's who's had the pleasure to have have, have dinner with him at some point yeah I, I i i don't know what it was just mentally that that image i was like can I imagine this can yeah. somehow imagine this yeah so, so so the point is is that learning the trade of the game and, and how you develop a striker is, is not in the same way that you kind of coach these, these passing and combination machines that, that they have. So this team just, like, despite having lots of good players, doesn't really work and doesn't have as many world-class players in it as it as it did before and is struggling to get out of that shadow. I think this generation of players is still trying to achieve success in the same way, in the same system, effectively, as the last generation. And
2: more things need to change. Do you think, Mark, you know, you look at Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, you look at Japan beating Germany, we obviously have a Eurocentric view of football because that's the football that we watch week in, week out. It's a Premier League-centric and then sort of Champions League and Europa League beyond that. I know you watch sort of more leagues than I do. But I wonder, do we, like, are they just two freak results in that, Argentina could have easily been 2-0 up and, you know, Germany could have been 2-0 up and we shouldn't read too much into it. Or that we kind of underestimate football that we don't see that much.
3: I definitely think there's a, a freakness to it. And uh, as I mentioned there, with the, you know, if Germany get that second goal, if Argentina get the second goal, um, maybe people have been moaning the fact that there's 32 teams in a World Cup and, um, you know, why why have we got so many make-weights in it? And, um, you know, it's, it's too boring. I, I do wonder, though, whether there is something in... Um, because we had this in two thousand and two, when that was a quick turnaround from the, then the season was ending, and you know they, they went straight into an early World Cup. This time, obviously, season's not ended, but um, you know there, there was no preparation time for for the teams. Whether that, in some ways, has leveled the playing field um, to to some extent, um, you I, I wouldn't go fully down that path because I I think that you know there's just not been enough games to to trust. Um, sort of anything that's really been thrown out of the first few days and it might just be some randomness but there was a feeling I think from some that we might get some unusual results just because of the the lack of preparation time just meant that it, it might mean that some of these juggernauts are, are not quite at it. I suppose in terms of home advantage like there isn't any for for most of the teams there and that might help. It is in Asia. I know it's a long way from um, Japan to Qatar, but they will have at least been used to maybe playing in these similar conditions with qualifying. I mean, I am trying to just find narratives here to, to explain these results, and it might turn out to be complete nonsense. But there is definitely statistical evidence that backs up that teams play better in their own continent in World Cups. That is just an absolute fact. I didn't expect it this time around because... Of the vast distances between, um, you know, the the, the likes of um, you know South Korea and Japan playing in Qatar, it doesn't feel like it should be home advantage, but um, unquestionably there is something in the fact when you're on your own continent, results are better, and that
2: is uh, proven. And uh, what's the reaction in in Germany? Like you said, that they have to win, they have to beat Spain now, don't they? They do because of the other result
4: in this group already, the fact that Spain have won 7-0 against Costa Rica, meaning that, can you see that German side putting 7 past
2: Costa Rica if if they were to draw against Spain? No. Quite fun if that's what happens and then they have to score 8. <laughs> you know, that would just be sort of mad,
4: wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, it, it would be. Just to come to something Il- Ilkay one said to pin it on Schl- Schlotzbeck and Zula, shall we say, for that second goal. The fact he said, I don't know if anyone scored an easier goal at the World Cup for that, tells you, is is I think a very clear message to his teammates there, uh, taking on the Mats Hummels role of calling out his teammates as he did in an interview after the Mexico game in 2018. And he also said, going forward, not everyone wanted to have the ball. If you're Germany and that's the... And that's the... That's one of the problems you have. You're in big trouble when players of that quality are saying, ah, you know what, I, I'm just not quite there. And I think that this unconditional desire, as as Manuel Neuer termed it, of of, of Japan was also a, a key factor in the end in, in pulling them over the line.
2: Um, lovely moment with the, the Japan boss. You know, the, the scenes of the Japan players, you know, like all the subs running on when they scored the second, running on when they won was brilliant. Uh, the, the boss Hajime Moriyasu like they were in a huddle on the pitch and then they could see the highlights of the game on the big screen sort of looking around watching the highlights going we, we just did that it was great <laughs> um, uh, a great question from Aaron says what are your thoughts on Antonio Rudiger showboating uh, only to go on and lose the game should defenders ever be allowed to showboat it was quite he sort of went from sort of normal running to kind of I'm not sure what was it. Was it like a hundred meter sprint? It was more than that. It was it sort of slightly show jumping? Prancing mark. is it's how, prancing, yeah,
4: it's how Daro Breen
2: described it. And and apparently he's done this a lot of times before. Yeah. I just can't does, it, does he do it quite a lot? There's clips on YouTube. Do you think he speeds up when he does that? Is that actually like a technically good thing to do? I, I thought
3: it was worse when he had
2: that shot in the ninety
3: sixth minute, from from about thirty five meters, when uh, you know th- there was um, an attack to sustain. I also found it, uh, I think, a little bit harsh when Gundogan said that there wouldn't be an easier goal uh, scored because Asano's touch for that second goal. No, I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously, someone as skillful as Gundogan would be able to do that. But I'm looking at it thinking, yeah, you know, there, there are easier goals um, to be scored in the World Cup than that uh, touch.
2: Was he saying easiest goal ever in the history of the World Cup? I didn't see Lineker v Poland. That's the way I I read it. I he
4: I think he he was also deliberately exaggerating because I mean the look on his face told the story as well. With Rudiger, by the way, uh, in in preparation for this tournament, when I was was watching a few things on YouTube, I, I have seen Rudiger do that kind of running before right. in a Chelsea shirt, and I think he's he said as well that it's partly to do with. football should be fun football football's entertainment albeit that yeah. pretty soon after that things started to go quite south Uh,
2: uh, Off the pitch Germany's players placed their hands over their mouths wore rainbow stripes on their warm-up tops and boots following being one of uh, seven nations banned by FIFA from wearing the One Love armband FIFA said at the time uh, it was Uh, due to the decision to bring forward their own no-discrimination campaign so that all 32 captains will have the opportunity to wear this armband. Uh, The Germany Interior Minister, Nancy Faeser wore the One Love armband as she sat next to Gianni Infantino. And shortly after the game started, the Germany team tweeted out the following. We wanted to use our captain's armband to take a stand for values that we hold in the Germany national team. Diversity and mutual respect together with other nations. We wanted our voice to be heard. It wasn't about making a political statement. Human rights are non-negotiable. That shouldn't be taken for granted, but it still isn't the case. That's why the message is so important to us. Denying us the armband is the same as denying us a voice. We stand by our position. What did you make of that, Archie?
4: I I tweeted something about what, Uh, Thomas Muller was saying last night he put out a statement on Instagram which was that those who expect them who expect them as footballers to position themselves politically at the cost of their sporting dreams will be disappointed and the point is do they realize the human price that people have paid for them to realize this dream in Qatar if we're going down to what the whole point that originally they're trying to make is and the question to players that the heart of this whole Armband saga has been how much do you actually care about what has happened for this tournament to take place? Protest in a sporting context is about sacrifice for me. To label what the Germany team did as, as protest, to put it on the same, to, to give it the same word as what someone like John Carlos and Tommy Smith did in the 1968 Olympics or to do what Colin Kaepernick did continually. and actually faced loss in his career to make his point i it's it's just not anywhere on the same scale they found a, uh, i mean are people compare i mean i totally agree with that you know it's it's not comparable to anything like that they found a comfortable way max they found a comfortable way to express it and what what does this achieve the fact that fifa have said that they're not going to take any disciplinary action i i think that it got to the point where the next move had to be if if they were going to sh- continue showing how much they cared about it that okay you know what fine but this whole this whole okay well you know us players have have no voice
2: they do they have the power but, but, but don't you think don't you think in a way that it is embarrassing for fifa that they're doing that i actually saw it and thought oh that's good at least they're doing something and maybe my expectations aren't you know my expectations should be higher i mean i agree with everything you've said um, I, I, football, I football, Max is so far behind the world that you and I
4: live in, and and Mark as well. Outside of this, like, can we still believe there is not a single openly gay player in the the top five European leagues? Right? I, can, can you imagine that? And like, for, for, I think that by saying that this is a good statement, we are adjusting our standards to where football's at instead of where the world's at. And that, for me, is that for me is problematic. It's football that needs to catch up, not the rest of the world bringing itself down to the levels of football.
3: I mean, I agreed with you, um, Max, initially. I've changed my mind now. I've heard Archie, but I mean, I, I when I saw that photo, I felt that um, it was at least you know keeping the conversation going. Um, and I mean, I, I suppose I wondered what the impact of the armband, the rainbow armband, actually was anyway and actually become more important when when fifa said that you know you get booked if you wore it maybe then it became more important but to me that almost felt like a sort of ticking a box as well really rather than actually you know really doing something that would would would, would make a a difference and i um until archie had spoken i felt that um the, the german national team had at least done more than sort of most others you know we had the australian video that came out um But it felt like, to me, a step in the right direction, albeit we are at a very low um, starting place with that.
2: While we're on this subject, the Athletic, uh, say Denmark, have revealed they're ready to discuss a blanket withdrawal from FIFA alongside other UEFA nations amid the ongoing row over uh, the One Love armband. It's not a decision that's been made now. We have been clear about this for a long time. We've been discussing it in the Nordic region since August, said the DBU chairman, Jesper Moller, I've thought it again. I imagine that there may be challenges if Denmark leaves on its own, but let us see if we cannot have a dialogue on things. Wales, um, By the way, Wales had a rainbow flag flying at training today. Uh, Also, Sean Ingle reporting in The Guardian that incidents involving uh, the FA of Wales staff and Wales supporters having rainbow-coloured bucket hats confiscated are being urgently investigated by authorities. Uh, FIFA and the Qataris were in talks on the matter on Tuesday, where FIFA reminded their hosts of their assurances before the tournament that everyone was welcome and rainbow flags would be allowed. Interestingly, where this becomes complex, if you remember the LGBTQ plus special we did, was that actually the gay community in Qatar didn't necessarily want rainbow flags and all these kinds of things because of the fear of recriminations in Qatar when we all, you know, when we all piss off and, and... you know, we're not talking about it. So, uh, you know, that is a, just another interesting strand to this that I've been thinking about since we've seen this fioria every game and every moment and and all these kind of things. Actually, what the impact will be for, for the LGBTQ plus community in Qatar after this, whether it makes any difference or not, I, I, I don't know. Um, and on Wednesday, FIFA says it's open disciplinary proceedings against Ecuador over homophobic chanting by their fans in the World Cup opener against Qatar uh, right that'll do for part one part 2 we'll begin with Belgium versus Canada Archie you may go and you'll be replaced by Jonathan Liu uh, in part two Mark you have to stay here if that's okay with you welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly we can say welcome to Johnny Lou. hello Johnny hi how you doing I'm good. I was rude about you at the top of part one. I'd like to apologise because you are actually here.
0: I know. I'll, I'll I'll find out what you said when I when I listen back to it
2: tomorrow yeah, morning. I mean, you know how as rude as I can get, which is not particularly rude. Um, Kevin says, "Is Belgium Canada the most dads v lads World Cup game you've ever seen?" I mean, like, thing is, I I sort of knew Mark about. Alfonso Davis and Jonathan David, but the others Buchanan and Johnson, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I didn't know about. I know Belgium won this game, but I feel like Canada were monumentally robbed in a way.
3: Uh, yeah, they were. I mean, if you look at the stats, twenty-one shots to nine, and most of the good football was played by Canada. All the enterprising kind of tactical ideas were, were came from the Canadian players. If Davis scores the penalty, I think you get a completely different game. Of course, he, he doesn't. It was a really bad penalty um, as as well. You, don't, you, you want your star man, I think, in those situations to to be able to deliver. And he, he unfortunately couldn't, but played well, I felt, in the game. um You know, it's a funny old game, Max, isn't it, football? Uh, yeah. But if you, you know, Belgium have won and played much worse than Argentina and Germany, who've lost and... Um, I, I think, you know, as we go forward in the tournament, if Belgium play like that, they won't be going very far, that's for sure. Yeah,
2: I, I sort of feel Johnny for Alfonso Davis, you know, taking a penalty as a skill and he didn't do it well at the time. But is that was it Canada kind Canada's of still yet to score a goal in the World Cup, right? There's such a pressure on that guy to to score that penalty, to take that chance.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously it's uh you know, it, it's probably. I mean, I, I know he's, he's played in a Champions League final, but it, it's it's one of the you know the defining moments of his career. But the thing is, he had an incredible he had an incredible game. You know, he did, he did so much. You know, we, we've seen him in that role so so many times with Bayern Munich, sort of coming in off the left hand side, and and I, I, I it still looks like an unusual kind of run. I, I still think teams aren't really kind of they they're not sure how to what, what to do with the left back running at you like diagonally the narrative i guess will be that black like, belgium had the had the nause and the experience they had the old heads and, and you know they kind of they showed canada you know what it is to be a mature tournament team but I, in no in no universe has that game gone well for belgium i mean they they got battered coursewell kept them in it in in uh, in the second half so yeah really really impressed with canada and and so many kind of goods you know good vibes to take out of that game, you know, they, they will take a lot more confidence out of that game than you know, maybe if, they, if they'd if snuck a kind of a, a lucky draw. Courtois does
2: look incredibly big, Mark. Uh, but I was watching just as Alfonso Davis stood there, and a lot of people said that basically the ref made Davis wait a bit too long. But I was looking at Courtois going, God, the goal looks tiny. And Courtois, who does look increasingly like the policeman from low um, uh, like I just He looks. It looks harder to score a punch against him than most people.
3: Yeah, he definitely feels the goal uh, when when he's standing in it, and he kind of gets the hand span out and you, you are wondering, well, where is the space here? You know, you there th- should be like an 80% chance of scoring, but it maybe doesn't feel like it is when, when Courtois is in goal. I also like his technique of standing quite far behind the goal line, so he, he's still able to spring forward. But, I mean, it wouldn't really have mattered what technique he used in this instance because as soon as he dived the right way, he was saving it because, you know, that the penalty was nowhere near the corner and it was... Um, softly struck as well and I think as um, Johnny was saying there just in terms of the unjust nature of the result also in terms of the match winner Batshuayi, um is the match winner and you know he goes home thinking how well he's done for Belgium for 80 well for nine for, for the whole time he was on the pitch he was absolutely terrible apart from the goal every run he made felt like, felt like it was the wrong one and De Bruyne You know, was doing that kind of Cristiano Ronaldo style, throwing his hands in the air at just sort of the wrong run at the wrong times. He wasn't controlling the ball very well, Uh, and yet he pops up with with the winning goal. And it just goes to show how stupid football can be, I think, sometimes.
2: But Belgium are old, Johnny, aren't they? Pizzas. I know Belgium's a pretty small country, but why do none of their men age between 18 and 33? Play centre half. Watford Zen says, considering the average age of the Belgium team, is the Belgian kit with flames on the sleeves some kind of collective midlife crisis? Like, it's funny to see Vatonga and Alderweireld still there, just sort of lumping it
0: away. Yeah, and uh was was playing in in Qatar until I think until a few months ago. I think he moved he moved back to Belgium now, and they've been the rock at the heart of that defence for. 10 years, possibly even more. And there is a kind of, uh, there is a point at which, you know, we talk, we talk about Gareth Southgate and his loyalty to the class of, of 2018. You know, this group has been pretty much unchanged. I don't, I don't think out, out of that first 11, uh, like eight or nine, at least, were there, were there four years ago. And when, you know, when you have the same coach and, and you have that, you know, you have the same core of players, what what you gain in cohesion at, at some point you know what you gain in cohesion you sort of begin to to lose in I don't know fre- freshness and, and, and new ideas and of course you know the, the physical aspect of it as well I mean I, I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't I didn't I do not think you know they they had any you know particularly worse games than than a lot of the guys around them it, it was it was just the you know the fact that Belgium as a whole looked so leaden and, and so wooden and, and when they you know when they were you kind know, of passing it around you weren't quite sure what what they were trying to do or what their ideas were and yet you know Old Vale was the guy who, who sets up the who sets up the winning goal. So you know go figure.
3: And we've seen that before haven't we um you know that long ball over the top and it used to be Deli Ali kind of running onto it that that was a, a goal that um you know as, as definitely in his repertoire of being able to do that pass, I was just surprised at he managed to sort of sort his feet out in time on the on the one occasion <laughs> he, he hate
2: did. Missy Batchway. <laughs> actually, you know, it's interesting you say that, Johnny, about you know, being sort of sticking with the old guy. Because actually, when they bought Anana on, when they bought Trossard on, they were much, they were much better. And you sort of think it, I don't know how hard it is to drop. Do the whole team walk in and say, you pick all of us or none of us? Are they saying, actually, will there be a press conference where Belgium say, you know, Jan Vertong is there going, I think we need Thomas Vermaelen and Moussa Dembele back in.
0: And that's what will fix it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Dries Mertens and, and you know, while, while we're at it, let's get Luke Nillis and, and, and Gilles De Builder back. I mean, there, there was a lot of talk, you know, there's been a lot of talk in, in the last kind of couple of years about the new... Belgian generation. I mean, at the Euros last year, there was a lot of noise about uh, about Jeremy Doku and and you know the the the, the players that were going, you know, Anana as well, another one. Like the, the players who were who were going to ultimately take over. Right, I've, I've I've spoken to people in Belgium, you know, in the last couple of years, you know, on on and off, and, and they say that look, this this generation isn't. You know, it, it's not like there's nothing left after them, but there is a kind of recognition that these guys, and they're, they're they're fed up of hearing the term "golden generation" because they know, as we know, that it comes tinged with a slight, you know, a slightly backhanded compliment. You know, that England's golden generation won nothing, and, and Belgium's gener- golden generation also looked like they're going to win nothing. You know, it's if, if you kind of know it's your last chance, these guys, you, you, you kind of wonder why they just didn't go at it a bit more. You know, <laughs> they just kind of they they honestly look like they were. All right, one more then. Okay, we'll do one more together, and then and then and then I'm having a sit down.
2: <laughs> Speaking of old people, Rob says I have three kids. I'm 39. I'm constantly knackered. What is Atiba Hutchinson secret? Yeah, 39 years old, still still sort of still did a really fine job in that mid. I just thought I, for, for a team, and I, we've got lots of Canadian listeners who are very excited about Canada qualifying, who talk to us a lot about Canada, and I didn't really watch any of Canada. It's probably the first time I've seen Canada play for. I'm gonna say even possibly my entire life mark and I'm just so that just sounds really patronizing. I was just so impressed just with like I mean the physicality, but they played good football as well.
3: they did yeah and I, I think that what you when you've got a team with the Scott Alfonso it and Jonathan David, you just hope that the others are able to kind of I suppose lace their boots at, you know and it's not just them two doing it all and, and it wasn't um you know as you said, Hutchinson. Um, really stepped up. I felt when they chucked on um, Larin as well um, in, in the second half, that gave them an extra body in kind of the attacking um, third of the pitch. In, in terms of like when the crosses were coming in, I did wonder then if they maybe just lost something in terms of the control of the game, uh, which, which can happen when you you start chucking on uh, more strikers. So um, finding that balance and getting that balance right. Um, will be important for the next two games but I think we saw with Morocco and Croatia in in the earlier game in this group that it, although they've lost the first game, it's not all over the, you wouldn't be surprised if if Canada were able to um you know pick up points in these next two games. I also wouldn't be surprised if Morocco and Croatia took points off Belgium it it looks a really um tight and, and close group that um you know I, I don't sort of see a, a standout team in any of the four of them really.
0: Just want, to, just want to give a, a quick shout-out to, not a shout-out, but a, a word for, for Stephen Eustachio in, in the Canada midfield, who I, I, yeah, we, we haven't mentioned yet, but I thought he's absolutely sensational, passing and, and running and harrying and, and just basically being the, you know, being the heartbeat of things. Uh, I, I, was, I, I hadn't seen him much. I think he, he plays for Porto. So, uh, I hadn't seen a lot of him and, and was really impressed with him. I would like to give a shout-out
2: to pierre De Di who the camera cut to. And he was just talking to himself, like really muttering, like, well, I can only think he was just saying, there's not enough injury time. We need more injury time. Can we have some more injury time, please? It's a sort of disappointingly normal amount of injury time in this game. Um, uh, anyway, let's go to uh, uh, the Spain-Costa Rica game uh, before I get your guys' views on it. I caught up with Sid Lowe just after full time. How was that for you, Sid? Seems pretty straightforward.
1: Uh, yeah, it was it was marvellously straightforward. One of those where you, you prepare the match report, you think, well, five goals is a nice round number. It works very nicely. There's a lovely <laughs> intro. Oh, you bastards. You went and scored two more in the last two minutes, <laughs> which kind of ruined things. But uh, I thought Spain were, were were absolutely fantastic. There's always that doubt, isn't there, Max, in these situations, that, which is how much of this is about Spain? How bad are Costa Rica? Is this, is this a purely about one team or is it about both of them? But I thought Spain were exactly... Exactly what Luis Enrique wants Spain to be.
2: Well, I mean, John Muller uh, tweeted he's watching Spain on Telemundo. The Arabic commentator in the next booth is screaming tick tacca over and over at the top of his lungs. And it was quite tick tacca I thought.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you, you only need to look at the statistics. Uh, over a thousand passes. Um, but this isn't the passes of yore. When it was a thousand pointless sideways passes, there was incision, there was aggression. Uh, the speed of it, how wide they made the pitch. Uh, how much how much control there was in the middle, but also, as I say, the kind of the velocity with which they used the ball. And I think a lot of this is is about Gavi and Pedri and, and how well they used the ball. But also to to, to look at it from through kind of the, the, the prism of Gavi, which I think is really important, a lot of the reason why I say this was the perfect Luis Enrique performance for Luis Enrique is he is so keen on the idea of the aggression, the intensity, the get the ball back very quickly. And there was a moment in the first half where Spain had the ball for about, Two or three minutes. right? Well, have told like two or three minutes. It might not have been. And the move ended up breaking down in the six-yard box. He thought, well, that's fair enough. You know, the move breaks down there. Within a second and a half, it was back again. Because they, cost, they just didn't let Costa Rica get out at all. And, and I think that's the thing that Lewis and Rico will be most focused on, will be the sense that the team did it the way that he wants them to. You know, they were, they, they were relentless. And, you know, having gone 4-0 up and they could have kind of stopped at that point, he makes a load of changes. Some more kids come on the pitch. Nico Williams comes on and plays brilliantly. Alvaro Morata comes on and scores. Uh, Carlos Soler comes on and scores. I've lost track of who the other uh, defense, uh, Sorry, the other substitutes were. Balde comes on and runs through them. And so I think he'll just look at this and think, this is basically perfect.
2: How was the atmosphere?
1: Uh, there isn't one. Really? Not really, in truth. Um, there was a little bit of noise from, from a small pocket of Spain fans. A bit too many empty seats. I think a sort of a sense of watching a, a, a kind of if you like, an exhibition almost more than a competitive game obviously probably doesn't help with that. Um, but I, I think this was about watching Spain perform brilliantly. It didn't feel like a... As I say, maybe it was too easy for there to be in an atmosphere, if you I sort of mean.
2: Um, and are you having a nice time?
1: Uh, no, not really. Not yet. Uh, I, I think I need time, Max. I've, I've been here for a few days. It was the first game, but it kind of feels like I've been here for ages because I've been really, really busy with uh, the kind of the preview stuff. I've not really got out to see anything yet. But, you know, sure. when it comes to it, a pretty good start isn't it seven i mean I, I was kind of thinking i was i'm going to watch i think it's six games in the first phase i mean i've basically got my quota of goals already haven't i pretty much
2: yeah it's either a lot of goals or a nil nil so yeah yeah you know, that's
1: yeah. it I'm, I'm sorry i've ruined the world cup for everyone
2: <laughs> uh, and uh, who are you rooming with you're not you're not next to Ronnie and wilson are you
1: uh, no no i'm with i'm with pete Patterson and jonathan Lou. Okay, oh, well, we've got
2: Johnny on. So, uh, how how is?
1: Uh... I I'll tell, tell Johnny to put Johnny's put the kettle on for when I get back, will you? I, I certainly will. Uh, all right, cheers, Sid. Thank you.
2: Bye bye. Uh, Sid Lowe there. Who is rooming with you, Johnny? How is that going?
0: I currently in in our living room. I, I mean, unsurprisingly, he's he's not back yet, or or he's he's gone to bed. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, he's he's a, he's lovely. He he bought a six pack of um of mineral water, which in in these conditions is it's it's like it's like gold. It's like the oil of the desert. Uh, so and, and you know he's a great company and and also. You, you get to see him preparing for his interviews. He had an interview with um, naki Williams a couple of days ago, and, and you can see him preparing his questions. And he's still got an old school notebook, and oh, good. and and he's you know, he, but he's prepping his questions, but he's also sort of plotting the different ways in which the interview can go. And obviously, there's like few few better interviewers in football and sid. So he's got it all planned out, like sort of a roll your own adventure.
2: I think I had an asterisk book Well, you know, like it's like if he's if he, Naki Williams says this, go to page ten, and if he says this. Go to page thirty-two. That is that is incredible uh, preparation from Sid. Anyway, back to this game. Uh, Duncan Alexander tweeting: Spain completed six more passes in the first half than Wickham have in League One in November, which I enjoyed as a, a as a statistic. All oh, that was all, not just it was very easy, Mark. But Spain did play really nice football.
3: Yeah, I, it's difficult to know just how bad Costa Rica were and therefore how good um, Spain were, but I enjoyed to a point, sort of watching Spain knock it around um, and get some shooting practice in. And all of the previews kind of leading into um, the World Cup were that Spain would dominate possession but would struggle to score goals. Um, And then they've, um, I think they only had eight eight shots on target and and seven goals. I like the way that actually they play, and I know you like a big man um, up front, Max, but I I did like the way that Spain played without um, kind of, I suppose, a recognised Number nine, Asensio, Dani Olmo and Ferran Torres all just you know able to move around within that front three. Um, it feels to me like that is a better solution um for Spain and Maratta very much sort of comes in as the plan B if things are not working. Um and then Pedri and Gavi, but particularly Pedri in midfield is just an absolute delight. And if you don't put any pressure on him, like Costa Rica um sort of you know didn't do, then I um, mean he is just going to be able to dictate a whole game. But for Costa Rica not to have one shot on or off target in the whole match maybe doesn't um serve well to the fact that Congacaf gets three and a half spots in in a World Cup. Um it feels on the, the upper end really maybe of what because they've ended up playing the playoff game against New Zealand for a spot in the World Cup, having finished um, fourth in CONCACAF, which, um, yeah, that one of the easier paths, let's put it. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of teams in Africa that have to work a lot harder um, to, to get World Cup spots.
2: Mm, it was quite nice to see Sergio Busquets having enough time to be brilliant again, you know, because I, I don't know how often he, he is these days. Graham Souness, Johnny, was very angry with Costa Rica for not just kicking spain a bit you know he sort of he did mention you know how physical saudi arabia were and and you know how aggressive japan were as well i'm just saying if you are the lesser team and obviously costa rica are not as good as those two teams you've got to do something
0: was was as angry or was it was he more disappointed because disappointed as um, well worse
2: yeah i think well he was he once told me off for swearing twice when i was trying to get out of a bunker and it was very much disappointed not angry and it was that tone yeah it
0: was a disappointed tone was this was this what when when you were both in fighting in the second world war
2: (laughs) i mean it was more (laughs) on the 15th hole at the shire i imagine but it was very similar you know and and if we were at war i think when we looked at each other graham sooners would be more disappointed to be next to me in the trenches than i would to
0: be looking at graham sooness (laughs) well you know i i um I, I'm quite pleased that, that. Well, it's quite nice that Graham Souness was disappointed by Costa Rica. Costa Rica were, were very disappointing. Uh, you know, we sort of we sort of knew how they were going to play. You know, they are they are one of the teams in this tournament who who really try and set up and quite quite tightly and 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 rigidly and and try and soak up pressure. And I think one of the trends maybe at this at this tournament so far is that the the lower ranked teams who have had some joy against the higher ranked teams. Have been the ones who have really tried to to take the game, you know, have shown some ambition and aggression, you know, you, you know Tunisia and, and Japan and Saudi Arabia and and teams like Iran and 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 Costa Rica and Qatar to an extent who have who have tried to sit in. It, the elite football has kind of spent the last ten years. The, the world's best coaches have spent the last ten years basically trying to, you know, working out and breaking down the problem of how to unlock tight tight set defenses. If you're an elite player with a big in a big five league. That's probably how you spend most of your, your tactical training. And the fourth Spain goal was probably... I mean, I, that was probably the point at which... Where, where they're basically all falling over. Ev- everyone, everyone is falling over. And it's it's like you sort of... It, it's it, the sort of goal you used to see. And it's, like, it's, like, it's basically like crap 90s football on a, on a, a mud bath, a, 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 you know, Loftus Road or Deepdale or somewhere. But it's, it's a pristine... You've got... The surface is offering you no excuses there, um, and, and <laughs> somehow they, you know, they just can't get the ball. They can't clear their lines, and uh, yeah, they got a paddling. Yeah, they really did. Lots of
2: Pedri and Gavi stats. I mean, look, they've got a combined age of thirty-seven, which is obviously younger than quite a few people at this World Cup. Younger than Danny Alves, like younger than Thiago Silva, younger than Pepe. And I, I really felt for Clive Tilsley, who it, it, during the commentary did say. From all the tapes of watching Costa Rica, this is what I think. I think, God, you've had to watch a lot of... How many tapes of Costa Rica does Clive Tilsley watch ahead of a game? He's a pro, isn't he?
3: It's also pretty pointless, Max, because they don't play against Spain every every game. So no, you know, true. when they're playing against Panama, maybe they set up slightly differently to when they're playing against Pedro and Gavin.
2: So he, he watched it and it was pointless. Uh, anyway, that'll do for part two. Part three, uh, we'll discuss Morocco, nil, Croatia, nil and any other business. welcome to part three of the guardian football weekly uh, morocco nil Croatia nil i confess i took the first half off it's the first 45 minutes i've missed um and I, and I think i made the right decision i i mean so little happened in this game mark of note i mean i really was it amrabat came on a bit late in the second half maybe he'd gone to the toilet um if- it Was a long time ago, wasn't it, Max? It really was. I mean, it feels like it was years ago, but did anything happen?
3: Not really. Um, I think Morocco were probably better than people anticipated coming into the tournament. Uh, you know, they were able to match, I thought, Croatia for large spells of, of that game. It's not easy, uh, because Croatia, while they maybe lack that manzukic type that they used to have up front, the midfield it still remains one of the best in the competition. I felt Morocco stood up to that reasonably well. Um, you know, there was suggestions before the tournament as you know, had a new manager, how would that all go? it Se- seemed to work fine. I felt they were um very competitive and I've got a good chance of getting out of the group. And um it it's not it's not it wasn't the prettiest game, but it, it was um, you know, a pretty important result for um particularly for Morocco. And um judging by what we saw from particularly Belgium, I think you know, both will fancy
0: their chances of beating them. Uh, what did you make of this game, uh, Johnny? Well, the, uh, I, I saw the coach, the Morocco coach afterwards, Walid Regragui, saying that um, basically if you lose your first game, then your, your dream is over. And I mean, they, 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 certainly, they certainly played like that. In the context of, of you know, where Morocco are and where Croatia have been, it's a huge result for Morocco you know it's for, for the neutral it's, it's a pretty dull game but you know there was a there was a really great atmosphere obviously lots, lots of Moroccan fans have traveled There was there was good noise and th- that, that is that is really big for them I mean they will have seen Belgium and and realized maybe they're not they're not quite as daunting a prospect as they might have been and they will go into the rest of the group thinking you know we've got we've got a proper you know a really good chance of qualifying and I think you know they they set up again quite well and, and they, they closed down you know they closed down the midfield pretty well and um yeah, that's about all I have to say about
2: that. No, no, there was a lot of there was a lot of closing down. I mean, that's <laughs> a, it's a great observation for this football match. Hakim Ziyech didn't do a whole lot, Mark, but slightly unfortunate. John Hartson had thought he'd gone off, and there he was, still on the pitch. Which is not John Hartson's finest moment was when. John Hartson, as Andy says, question for the pod. Have we hit peak World Cup with John Hartson talking about his granddad from Newfoundland fighting in the Second World War and moving to Wales at 11.05 on a Wednesday morning during the Morocco-Croatia game? Well, Hartson had a great game in my well, mind.
3: I, I, you know, I don't know if John Hartson's been the, the star of, of this World Cup, actually. I mean, the, he's coming out with some absolute zingers every every time he's... I'm on the mic and he's he's been mic'd up probably more than most so far. We had, you know, the best save he'd ever seen um, in, in one yeah. match. We also had um, him having not watched football for about 10 years because he couldn't understand why the flag was going up so late either. In the Wales game, I think you referenced it earlier, where he just started supporting Wales um, in the second half. So, I mean, I'm all for it because it, I, I think there's enough um, serious debate that that goes on um, across the sixty four matches. That to have a bit of light hearted John Hartson of the morning for Morocco v Croatia. I, I think that helps the World Cup tick along in my book.
2: Yeah, slightly disappointing for Bayern Munich. Uh, they've lost both their fullbacks to uh, injury: Lucas Hernandez for France now, and uh, nassai Masrawi for for Morocco. David says not a question, but Modric looked tired even in the lineup graphic. Most of the players stepped forward and crossed their arms and gave a big thumbs up or smile. He just looked like he really wanted a cardigan. Can relate, says David. And there was a wonderful, like you say there were loads of Morocco fans, Johnny. There was one Morocco fan, he had maybe one tooth and he was just so like giddily excited and sort of had like a ludicrous hat on. At least I think he did. And I was like, that is very World Cup. And it just, he had not quite seen enough of that. Um, elsewhere, uh, Harry Kane was able to train with his teammates uh, due to have a scan on his ankle. I think a lot of people, when they saw that ankle go in the game against Iran, um, very nervous considering the state of Harry Kane's ankles. Uh, Jordan Pickford said, I think he is good. I'm sure he is fine. He was out on the grass today, which is good. He is our captain. So uh, that sort of says it all about Harry Kane so should be
0: playing I would love to see England to see England try and play without Kane obviously I, I don't wish injury on Kane but it would just be really interesting to see how Southgate sets that side up he would probably just go with Wilson you know obviously he's a great player Kane but you take him out and, and you have you have decisions to make I'd be really interested to see what how that unfolds. what would you do would you just play Wilson or well I would I mean I, I'd probably bring in Phil Foden who has played that Number nine role, false nine, you know, dropping deep role um, for Manchester City and would give their, you know, would, would, would give that that England attack a whole new dimension because, you know, America will be preparing for Kane and, and will, we'll, you have the, you have the chance to spring a surprise there, um, but it won't happen.
2: We had a few emails on this subject uh, and this one from Alex. Thanks so much for getting in touch. I'm writing with a plea. That uh, you correct and don't make the same mistake again when lumping Iran in with Arab nations. Iran is not part of the Arab world. The Iranian population is made up of primarily Iranic, e.g., Persian, Kurd, Baloch, and Turkic, Azeri, Turkmen, and Kashkai ethnicities, with Arab Iranians accounting for at best 3% of the Iranian population. Um, It's been bad enough to hear ITV commentators mislabelling a nation of 80 million and a global diaspora of 4 million at a time when our people are fighting for their voices to be heard on the streets of Iran. Uh, To hear not one but multiple panellists and Max Lumpers in the wrong demographics has been pretty painful. Loving all the work you've been doing and hope that for the remaining two matches that Iran probably have left, uh, you'll afford us our pride and dignity when discussing our next shellacking as Kiefer Moore puts a hat trick through us. Uh, Thank you, Alex. And we apologise for getting that wrong. We are always learning and uh, thank you very much for telling us. Football Weekly at theguardian.com if there's anything else uh, that we need to get right. Steph says, does the £5 billion price tag placed on Manchester United when the stadium needs a complete rebuild on top of this mean the only eligible buyers are warlords and bond villains? What's going to happen, Johnny, at Manchester United? I think,
0: you know, it, it would be great to see a bond villain Buying Manchester United, or although you wonder whether somebody else would be able to thwart them at the last minute, because the bond villain would just take a little bit too long <laughs> trying to try to try to seal the deal. But we'll, we'll try and do it in a really elaborate and circuitous and tortured way.
2: Well it's quite fun though, that when Fred goes in for a new contract and then you know he stands on the you know, he stands on that chute where the shark is in the pool, you know, it sort of adds a bit more jeopardy.
3: I think from yeah, for the United, the Manchester United fans that uh um, you know, currently calling out Manchester City or or Newcastle, we'd be interested to see whether they'd have the same feelings if you know all of a sudden they've got owners that in inverted commas care about the club and you know start giving them the, the star names and, and new stadium that they've been um, de- demanding. I think the timing of if it was very interesting, you know, so soon after Liverpool um, announced or. Release a statement that hinted that they'd also be available because you know, for Manchester United, I suppose they don't want to um, to miss out in in that sense. Really, there's only there's only so many billionaires willing to buy um, the, these these Premier League football clubs, and um, it will, I suppose, be interesting to see which one the kind of bidders prefer in terms of who comes in. I mean, the America, I'm just gonna lump all the Americans together, but there's been you know most of the kind of interest does seem to be um in the US um at, at the moment and I, I i do think we have to be careful as to when that then tips you know too far um because once any any batch of owners get control of the premier league i.e. you know that, that that 14 of the 20 votes it, it then becomes very difficult to to stop that 39th game or any other kind of weird and wonderful ideas that that may be, um, would be seen to be in, in again inverted commas, in voting commas, enhancing the game.
2: So so either we have ten games in Milwaukee or we have a rogue state owning Manchester United. That, that's the sort of or Elon Musk, right? That's our choice, right? So, and who's the guy? Is it Jim Ratcliffe? Might be interested. Is that a good? I don't know enough about him. To know whether that's a good thing or not. Jim Ratcliffe
0: can't can't possibly be evil. Jim Ratcliffe's... He, he's called Jim Ratcliffe. He's got he's got a, an English name. He can't possibly be a bad <laughs> he guy. Can't be a Bond Bond baddie, can he?
2: If there's been an English. There must have been an English ba- Bond villain. by Yeah, him. Elliot Carver. Oh, Right. Okay. And wh- which was
0: that one? Most recently, Tomorrow one. Never Dies. Okay. Was it? Was that a good one? No, it's not. No, it's the, um, the, the Piers Brosnan one. He, he's like a newspaper. Baron
2: he's like oh yeah yeah, yeah I remember yeah. he's got quite a nice face was in sitcoms I'm just seem to remember um, anyway uh, we'll find out and then we'll talk about it when it happens I guess um, finally Phil says on the subject of tall players as policemen I can confirm that Stockport County legend Kevin Francis is now a Canadian policeman so that's sort of uh, uh, I would be surprised if I got arrested in Canada and it was big Kevin Francis in a Stockport County shirt leading me away unless um, he of course he's now a Mountie even more exciting uh, if he is on top of a horse. Um, and that'll do for today's podcast. Um, thank you so much, Johnny.
0: Yeah, and, and, and apologies. for. for th-
2: no, 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 no. No, don't worry about it. Um, and thank you, Mark. Thank you, Max. You don't need to apologise for anything, Mark. You were here oh? for the duration. The only one. I wasn't going like, to. Yeah, you know, the hero. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Silas Gray with Lucy Oliver. Our executive producer is Max Sarneson.